As we walk out the journey of life, we each begin to thirst for something more. We want more than just life the way we know it. It's a thirst for more peace, more fulfillment, more purpose. That was God's plan all along. Since the ancient times, he has made promises that he will quench that thirst. And the promises he made long ago are the same promises he has made for us today. All right, come on. If you love Jesus this morning, how about a big shout? Just, let's just give God thanks for being in his house. That was a, that was a six out of ten. Um, you're not speaking the love language. All right, so man, I, I had a I had a sermon prepared this morning that I was going to preach, and I just got so lost listening to Brian talk that uh, I can't remember what it is. I can't remember what I was going to say today. <laughs> Classic. Only a true life. One of those moments. Okay, now in all seriousness, the best cheer you can. Can we welcome any first-time guests who are with us this morning? We're glad that you're here. Thanks for, uh, thanks for hanging out with us, and um, hope that you have a good time this morning, that you have a fun Sunday, that you experience God's presence in your life, and that He does something special for you. I um, want to remind everybody that a week from tomorrow, we throw one of the biggest parties we throw as a church. Our, our Memorial Day picnic is coming up. It starts at 11 a.m. on Memorial Day. On that Monday, we go out to the Austin House the Austin residence in Elkton, it's a, it's a little bit of a, like from right here, it's probably about 20, 25 minutes, depending on traffic, and, um, and depending on how you drive. For me, 20-ish. All right, so, um, and uh, man, it's fun, beautiful property, and um, we, we'll do the moon bounce for the kids. We've got the big inflatable slip and slide, so if you bring your kids, make sure you bring appropriate clothes for them getting wet and a change of clothes, getting cleaned up. Horseshoe pits, uh, volleyball net, uh, the volleyball games get serious. All right, I'm just warning you, they get serious. So, do the, so does the ultimate Frisbee. Um, it, it gets pretty serious out there. And uh, here's the deal. We will pull out the grill, and um, the church is providing hamburgers, hot dogs, buns, cheese, uh, ketchup, mustard, that kind of stuff. What we ask you to do is bring your favorite side dish or dessert. Bring enough to, to feed your family plus one or two other people, all right? And uh, no, if you're single, you can't partner up with someone and call that your family. Then the math doesn't work on this whole deal, all right? So if you're one person coming by yourself, you bring enough for yourself plus one or two more people. And then we also ask you to bring uh, a two liter of your favorite beverage, no alcohol, please. Um, or you can bring bottled water, all right? And... Um, and it's going to be fun, man. It is, if you, if you were there the last couple of years, it just keeps getting better every year. And the turnout gets better every year. And it is so much fun. And, uh, and I can't wait. It's going to be a blast. So we hope that you're able to be there next Monday, 11 a.m. And uh, somebody asked me, can I bring friends who don't go to church here? Yeah, absolutely. Like um, most of the neighbors around their house come over and participate with us. So we we, we're expecting, last year we had to have had close to 100 people out there, so we expect at least that again this year, and, and it is really, really fun. Plenty of shaded areas. Uh, the other thing you need to bring is either a blanket or a lawn chair or something to sit on. 
um, while you're hanging out out there, and, uh, and, and you're going to have a great time. So uh, come join us. I want to jump right into the message today. I've got a lot that I want to share with you, um, and uh, it's, it's going to be, I think, one of the more powerful Sundays that we've ever had this morning, and as we continue our series called Four Cups, I hope God has been revealing some stuff to you in this series that maybe you'd never grasped before, maybe you hadn't realized before, and this series is really about four core promises that God made to his people all the way back in the Moses story in the, in the book of Exodus when he brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He made four core promises to his people that still apply to us today. They're actually repeated in the Great Commission. They're repeated all throughout the New Testament. And really all of God's promises, we talked in week one about how the Bible is actually a book of promises. And all of God's promises in some way or another connect back to these four core promises. So we talked about that in week one, core promises. Week two, Joel did an awesome job explaining how Jesus Christ became our Passover lamb. We talked about what the Passover is, this Jewish festival, this Jewish feast. And, uh, and that's actually where to this day, the Jewish people at Passover, they get together, they read the scripture I'm about to read to you in just a second. They go over the four I wills, these four promises that God made, and they drink a cup of wine in remembrance of each uh, promise of the four wheels. That's why the series is called Four Cups. And here's the awesome thing. None of those promises now in, the, in our current day in the world we live in, thanks to Jesus, none of those promises can be fulfilled apart from him. You get connected to Jesus Christ, all four of these promises become available to you. All you have to do really is drink from that first cup that we talked about last week. If it's your first week here or you're not up to speed on the series, encourage you to jump on our website, download the messages from the last couple of weeks and listen to them, or hop on the bookstore and get a copy of the book, Four Cups by Chris Hodges. That's where this whole series has come from. It'll really help you understand. And uh, man, I'm, how many are thankful for Jesus becoming the perfect sacrifice once and for all, our Passover lamb, so that we can experience salvation and freedom and restoration and fulfillment? Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad Jesus did that for you? I am, all right? So, and then last week we looked at that first cup, sanctification, and uh, today we're going to talk about the second cup, the second promise, and all four of these promises come from those four I wills. We find them in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, and it says this, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and here's the first one, and I will, everybody say, I will, it's not I might or I maybe or if I feel like it, God said, I will bring you out. That's the first promise. That's salvation from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So obviously you're not under the yoke of the Egyptians today, but you might be under the yoke of sin. You might be under the slavery of sin. And what God wants to do for you is get you out of that slavery, give you an opportunity for salvation and eternity. And he says, I will say it again. I will, I will free you from being slaves to them. Now you think, well, that sounds like the same thing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to clarify that a little bit. It's actually not. What we've been saying all through this series is God wants to get you out of Egypt. When he brought the Israelites out of Egypt, that was one part of the process. He saved them from, from slavery. But the Israelites still didn't know how to stop acting like slaves. And so God said, I got you out of Egypt. Now I've got to get the Egypt out of you. And this is where a lot of us are stuck. We give our hearts to Christ. We become Christians. We receive salvation. And then we spend the rest of our life Trying to, figure out, trying to figure out how to get our old life out of us. We get frustrated. Why do I keep making the same mistakes? Why do I constantly feel stuck? Am I going to be like this forever? 
He says, no, you don't have to be like that forever. I will free you from being slaves. And he says, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's the third I will. And with mighty acts of judgment. And then here's the last one. I will take you as my own people. Notice the shift in language from individual to now you become a part of a family. You become a part of a community. And I'll be your God. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And what we've been saying all throughout the series is that last scripture, that last verse, he says, then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God. And I really believe that until we figure out how to drink from all four cups, until we learn how to operate in all four of these core promises that God has for us, it's actually impossible to really understand completely who God is and what he has for you. And that's why some of us will spend a a, a significant portion of our lives frustrated with the idea of Christianity, frustrated with this idea of trying to follow God because we're stuck. We've not drank from all four cups. We haven't experienced all four promises, and we don't even really understand who God is completely. That's good preaching, whether you think so or not. So today, it's about getting the Egypt out of you. Next week, it's about finding what you were born for, what you were made for. Statistics tell us, and we've said this the last couple of weeks, that if you were to survey everybody in the room, there was a survey done not too long ago of Christians that asked, do you know why God put you here? Do you know what your purpose is, what God has made you to do? And 87% of people who've received Christ, love God, maybe even go to church every week, said, I have no idea what I'm here for. Come on, that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to know exactly what it is you were made for. He wants you to know exactly what your purpose is. And he wants to set you up to operate in it in power and freedom so that you can do something that matters for all of eternity. Come on, somebody. Man, I feel like preaching today. (laughs) Thank you. All right. If you're new here, this is one of those yell at the preacher churches, all right? So you, you can, unless you don't like it, then shh, you don't say, that stinks. Don't, no, don't do that. All right. So here they are in your notes. Let's just review what the four cups are. Number one, the cup of sanctification. We call that the cup of salvation. It represents salvation. The opportunity to get into relationship with Jesus. The second one, the cup of deliverance. We call that freedom. God wants us to have freedom in our lives. He's promised us freedom. The third one, the cup of redemption, is really all about restoration. The word redeem means to take something and put it back on track, put it back into the the place that it was originally supposed to be for the, the purpose that you were originally created for. Listen, if you're apart from Christ, living apart from Jesus, then you're probably spending your life on things that God never intended you to spend your life on. And when we give our heart to Christ, what he wants to do is he wants to get us out of Egypt. He wants to get the Egypt out of us. Then he wants to help you find the thing you were made to do and get you back on track with doing it. So it's really about restoration. And then the last one, the cup of praise. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks when we wrap up the series. And I'm excited about really the next, the next couple messages represents fulfillment. How many would like to be able to wake up in the morning and lay your head on the pillow at night and know that you're living a life that's fulfilling, that's full of life, that's full of freedom, that's, how, how, how many, just, just, how many would like to end the day without being stressed out or freaked out or worried or, come on now, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to lay your head on the pillow at night and go, that was good, I'm living the good life, I'm living the good life. And that doesn't mean all the prosperity preaching and you don't get to ask God for private jets and that's not what it's about. 
But God wants you to end your day feeling like you did what you were made to do. And that's where fulfillment really happens. So God wants to take us on a spiritual journey. And here's the thing. Every one of us in this room, whether you realize it or not, you're on this journey through the four cups. You may not know it. You may, you may have come today and you're just like going, man, I don't even know if I buy into this whole church mess and these people are weird. They're raising their hands during worship, during the music. What's that all about? It, it's actually not weird. It's all through scripture. It says lift up holy hands in the sanctuary. It's just, it's just kind of our way. You do it at a football game. <laughs> right? It's just our way of saying, hey, God, here I am. I'm surrendered to you. I'm in love with you. There's, there's nothing... If you've never done the hand-raising thing, there's not little invisible lightning bolts that touch your fingers and make you feel tingly and stuff. Done, I mean, if there is, good for you. I'm glad. You might want to get your circulation checked. But it's just our way of saying, hey, God, I love you. I'm surrendered to you. I want to worship you. So I want to take a minute this morning and just distinguish between these first two cups, these first two steps in the journey, these first two promises, because... All of us are on this journey. I don't know where you are. God does, and and you might. But my job is just to kind of be the guide, to to kind of say, okay, here's the journey. Here's where you want to go, and here's where God wants you to end up. So let me just take a minute, and we want to distinguish between the first two cups, because a lot of people have trouble with the idea that salvation could actually be as easy as we say it is. Let me read this to you in scripture just to show you how easy salvation actually is. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you by all the good stuff you do. And how awesome you are and how hard you work at being a good person. And because you go to church every week. That's not what your Bible says. (laughs) I could say anything. It was like. Okay, he must be reading from a different translation. <laughs> Come on, church. You need to know this book. You know, if I'm the only place that you're getting scripture is on Sundays, there's a problem. You need to know this book. Come on. God saved you by his grace when you what? Believed. Now, a lot of us will go through life thinking, I'll really be saved when I finally get that one tricky sin out of my life. No. Salvation is really this easy by his grace when you believed. That's it. Salvation happens in a moment, in an instant. It can happen for some of us who are here today for the first time. And here, let's continue reading. And because this is the important part. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. And I talked about this briefly last week. A lot of us think, I've got to clean my life up before I can come to God. No, you come to God to get your life cleaned up. It doesn't work that way. Come on, Chloe. Yeah. Amen to me from the back of the room. By the way, I love seeing people step up and have their gifts and their anointing and their calling worked on and polished how about Whitney getting up here and leading some worship this morning for the first time come on girl my wife leads that entire department and we've been in our house we've been talking about it there's several people on that team that are developing and they're moving up and we get so excited talking about uh, just what incredible hearts 
um, each and every person on this stage has. You want to know a secret? You know this microphone right here? Which, by the way, Kevin, you had this thing like super high today. I don't understand that. But anyway, you're not this tall. But Because <clears throat> like, I know some of y'all are like, why doesn't Kevin ever sing? Is that there just so he feels important? No. <laughs> What, see, all these guys actually have little things, little headphones in their ears while they're up there playing and singing. And Kevin can talk to the band and direct where the band's going and so they can hear it. It's, I'm sure it's creepy at first, um, but but he can. <laughs> it's soothing. <laughs> We're going to the bridge, everybody. <laughs> what was I talking about? Salvation's easy. All right. <laughs> it really is. Man, it's a, so by grace, when we believe, and here's what it's all about. It, 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 if it's about you being able to clean up your life and fix everything, then you get the credit. But God doesn't want you to get the credit. He wants the credit. He wants the glory. He wants everybody in your life to look at you and see something, that, a change that's so radical and so hard to explain that they go, that's got to be something supernatural because I know how messed up they were. He wants to take your marriage where everybody knows that you fight and yell and scream and throw things at each other. And he wants your neighbors to go, gosh, it's been quiet around here for a couple of weeks. I wonder if one of them killed the other one. And then they come to check and you're like, no, Jesus just got a hold of our lives, transformed us. And we actually love each other now. We <laughs> We haven't hit each other in a couple of weeks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're laughing, but some of you this morning, you were, you were fighting in the car on the way here. You were. And then you told your kids, when we get out of this car, you act like everything's good. People need to think we're a happy family. So if salvation is that easy, because here's the question, right? If salvation really is that easy, why does the Bible have so many things for me to do? Why does the Bible have so many things that I'm supposed to do? And why does it seem to have so many things that I'm not supposed to do? Because there's grace and there are works. But they're not in the same cup. They're not in the same promise. See, a lot of us think that salvation and works are connected to, together. And that when we receive Christ, that, 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 that works are a part of that. No, grace and works function independent from each other. Salvation first, then with God helping you, God working inside of you, you begin working on the change. And if we get them out of order, God doesn't get the credit. That's the problem. God wants the credit. It's really what it's all about. My 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 son, he he um he falls down a lot. He's 14 months. And so just for no reason, really. He'll just be trucking along, boom, face plant. And he's trying to talk. Um, like his first word right now is, I think, well, it's not his first word, but it's one he's really working on right now is hi. He's trying to say hi. So we go up to pick him up out of a nap, and we walk in the room, and he goes, I, but he doesn't say the H, so it's just I. He sounds really selfish right now. I. That's his, and that's how he waves, too, his little wrist. I. And, um, and you know, I'm a, a father. I love him. And I want him to learn how to walk so he'll stop falling down. I want him to learn how to talk so he'll be able to communicate with people. So you, 
You know how we handle it in our house is when he falls down and, and instead of walking like he's supposed to, you know, like any good father, you know what we do? We just, we yell at him. Stupid baby. It's not I, it's high. Ha, 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 high. Wrong with you. You just tell me like, really? No, of course not. Of course we don't do that. Why? Because I'm a loving father. And just like God's a loving father for us, check it out. If works was attached to salvation, that would be his response every time you fall. You can't stop sinning. Get out. Stupid baby. No. That's, listen, that's some of our view of God. We think, I can't sin because God's going to call me stupid baby and kick me out of the house. No, he's a loving father. You know, what I, you know what I actually do when my son falls? I say, honey, felic. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Walk over. Pick him up. You okay, dude? You want to try again? Let's have, another, let's have another run at it. Let's try it again. Let's get the obstacles out of the way. Let's make sure you've got a clear path from this side of the house to that side of the house. Come on, dude. Go for it. And then, you know what? I'm cheering him on, and I'm excited when he makes it from one side of the room to the other with no fall. Man, our coffee table is like a magnet for his head. He's I can't. Hey, listen. Some of us have some coffee tables in our lives. You try to learn how to be a Christian and live out this life and walk, and it's like there's some sin that's a magnet for you. You can't figure out how to stop banging your head on it. You're bruised. You're messed up. But listen, I'm going to tell you today how to get the Egypt out of you because that's what God wants for you. He wants to see you stand up strong and confident and walk wherever it is he has for you to go with no bruises, no bumps. Come on. You want that this morning? Philippians chapter 2. Why does the Bible have so many things for me to do? Look, Philippians chapter 2, let me show it to you in Scripture, verse 12. Work hard. <laughs> so our setup crew is like, I don't need to hear about that one. I do that every... Listen, I, I got to give some props today. Brian Schaefer, Chris Andell. We had some guys that um, I guess were sick or whatever, didn't make it in. And like I got here and literally two guys were setting us up for church this morning. I know a bunch more helped, but they ended up, they had to get up on stage to help with the worship team. So, hey, I just got to tell you, there are some people who are all in, committed to making sure this thing happens every Sunday, and, and I think some of them would do it if they were the only ones. They'd still be in here lugging stuff around, stuffing connection cards in your chair. Come on, can you, can you show some love to some of those guys? We have some great leaders in our church. Philippians 2.12, work hard. Why? To show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And I just got to tell you, around here, we believe in hard work. Got a lot of young people that come to our church. Can, I just got to tell you, young people, I don't believe in you living in mama's basement until you're 30. If Jesus is in you, 
You ought to be at the top of the food chain, not the bottom. God says we're the head, not the tail. Come on, somebody. Don't you just fall into this trap of what they say the millennial generation is going to be and sit in the basement and be a loser the rest of your life and play Call of Duty and eat Twinkies. I don't know what you do. You get out there and you work hard. Why? Because God wants to show what he's doing through your life, that you're the exception, that you're not the rule. Come on. Stop getting into debt, man. Stop piling up the student loans. You got one degree, go get a job. Knock it off. All right. (laughs) Debt's bad for you, in case you haven't noticed. I know people with doctorate degrees, they can't get a $10 an hour job. Man, start your life at some point. Stop hiding in a dorm. Who am I talking to today? This feels like a prophetic thing. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Somebody needed to hear that, though. I like the basement. We believe in hard work. God wants to change you. Salvation happens in a moment. The moment you believed. The second cup is not instant. The cup of deliverance, getting the Egypt out of you, is not instant. It's a process. In fact, most of us will probably be working on it in some way, shape, or form for most of our lives. And the verse that we just read, Philippians 2.12, says we need two things. That God's going to give us two things. New desires. So when we give our heart to Christ and he comes to life in us, our desires should start to change. What we crave, what we really want for our lives, they're going to begin to change. And then the other thing that he gives us, it's not just the new desire, it says, and the power to do what pleases him. And if you want to drink from the cup of deliverance, You've got to start responding to the new desires that God is placing in you. And you've got to start believing that the power is in you to overcome the things in your life and start living the way that God has called you to live. You are, just like we're created in God's image, you are, just like he is, a triune being made in three parts. We know that God, this is where we get the Trinity, it's one God in three persons. Come on, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you're old school, it's the Holy Ghost. That's what I grew up around. It was, you need the Holy Ghost. And then somebody play an organ, and we'd speak in tongues, and everybody fall down, and then it was over. All right. That's what we're doing at the end of the service today. Just be ready. Some are like, I got to go. No, we're not doing that. Second cup's not inter- in- in- instant. It's a process. And God wants to give you new desires and the powers to do it. So you're a triune being. Just like God is made of three parts, you are made in three parts. Here, I'm going to put them on the screen. You might want to write these down because they're not in your notes. And the first one is the body. The body. This represents the physical part of you. And your body has cravings. It has fleshly cravings. This is where uh, anything connected to physical gratification. And here's the thing. You don't want the body to be in control of your life because the body is reckless. The body's a thrill seeker. The, the body craves. Uh, uh, I had this word on the tip of my tongue. Brian, can you help me out? I started thinking about you again. I forgot what I was saying. The body craves variety. There it is, variety. The body is looking to experience as many things as possible for self-gratification. And you don't want the body in charge. Here's the second part of you. It's the soul. And that represents your mind, your will, and your emotions. And again, you don't want the soul leading the way. You don't want the soul in charge of your life because, just like the body, 
it's reckless. And the soul is always seeking emotional gratification. Tell me I'm good enough. Make me feel good about... This is where insecurity comes into play. And here's the thing. Body and soul actually have no respect for each other. Body says, I'm going to sit here at 11 o'clock at night and eat this ice cream and this box of donuts because it feels good and I like the way it tastes. I don't care about the emotional baggage that's going to create later on in my life whenever I'm fat and lonely and nobody likes me. For the record, I'm not being judgmental when I say that because that was me. That was me. Until God got a hold of my life and said, son, the Egypt that needs to come out of you is the self-gratification. Put the donuts down, strap a phone to your arm, and get out there and run around the neighborhood and get in shape so that people can see the good works that I'm doing in you. I'm in the 260s now, by the way. I just want to say that. Keep on coming down. These, these jeans are the smallest pair I've owned in 13 years. All right. And the body, see, the body has no respect for the soul. The soul has no respect. But the, the soul, if we let the soul lead the way, that's the one that's, body, I don't care about you. I'm depressed. I hate myself. I'm going to take a gun and end it all. I don't care about you, body. Body and soul have no respect for each other. And here's the third part. This is where the good news starts to happen. The third part of you is spirit. And this is the part of us that at salvation becomes like God. In fact, instantly when we give our hearts to Christ, when we enter into relationship with Jesus, your spirit becomes perfected in the eyes of God, spotless and clean, your past wiped away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west that God doesn't even remember who you are and what you did before that day. All that matters is from that day on you're perfect, which by the way is extremely important because only perfection can be in the presence of God. Body, soul, Spirit, when you got saved, it became clean and perfect. Here's the problem. Salvation cleans up the spirit instantly. Salvation doesn't clean up body and soul overnight. There's a process. And that's where the cup of deliverance comes in. That's why a Christian who loves God can still have so many issues. And if we're honest today, I won't make you raise your hand, but if we're honest, deep down, each and every one of us has some issues. We do. I remember, I remember one time flipping through channels when I was younger, catching a, like one of those daytime, like Jerry Springer, one of those. And this big lady was in somebody else's face. You got some issues. And I just remember thinking, duh, so do you. Who doesn't? We all do. We all have a lot of issues. That's why Christians who love God, this, this, people ask me sometimes if, if, if pastors are supposed to be spiritual leaders and, and they're really supposed to be the ones that set the example for us, how, how come so many of them can have failures and moral failures? And we see it on the news. How, many, how come so many of them can be secretly addicted to drugs or pornography or whatever that thing is? Because body and soul don't clean up overnight. And we could be saved. Still be trying to figure out how to drink from the cup of deliverance and fall flat on our face and make a mistake. So here's the journey. Here's what we got to figure out today. We got to figure out how to make spirit stronger than soul and body. Here's what I want to give you 
just, we won't figure it all out today, but I want to give you enough, enough steps, enough tools in your toolbox that you can go back to the Word of God and you can go back and pray and you can begin the process of getting the Spirit inside of you so strong that it starts to force change of body and soul. Because that's where freedom really happens. I love, some of you are thinking, I, I really love God. I really do. But I keep messing up, and, and I don't know what to do. And, and, and if that's you, you're, you're a candidate for the cup of deliverance. How does it happen? I won't go to the scripture, but 2 Corinthians talks about this. This is a theological term called regeneration. There's a scripture that talks says, says that we are being transformed into his likeness. Who's Jesus from, it says, from glory to glory. And if you read what that actually means, it actually means that, hey, layer to layer in your life, God is going to transform you. He's going to, as soon as you receive him, if you'll, if you'll go all in, you say, hey, I want all four promises from my life, and I want to drink from the cup of deliverance, the process will begin of layer by layer working through the things in your life. I don't know what they are for you. I know what they were for me. God had to work on a layer called lust. God had to work on a layer called pornography. God had to work on a layer called approval addiction. God had to work on, he's still working on insecurity. God had to work on time management. It's a layer to layer, glory to glory. And guess what? Every time my spirit becomes strong enough to control soul and body in one of those new areas, there's a new victory. There's a new celebration. And it's like a new rush of momentum in my life. And then I'm ready for whatever the next one is. And that's how God wants you to live. That's why we need all of you in this church in a group. Our semester actually ended today at Joel. Yes! Our, our, our spring, our winter spring semester actually ended today. So in about five weeks, five weeks or six weeks, we crank up a brand new small group semester for the summer. And listen, you need to be in a group. I'm going to tell you why in a second. Some of us in this room... You need to step up and lead a group for the first time. We'll make it easy for you. We'll give you a set of DVDs. You show the videos. You read questions off a piece of paper. You don't have to be great at standing up in front of a crowd at all. We'll make it a piece of cake. But it's in a group setting that we can take our mask off. And with a small group of people who we trust like family, we can start to say, hey, here's the layer God's working on in my life right now. And I need some help. I need some prayer. I need some accountability. It's where we work together on getting soul and body under control so we can drink from this cup. So today I want to show you the process that will help you get control. It will help your spirit get control once and for all. You can get the Egypt out of you. Do you want that? No? Okay. Come on, do you want the Egypt out of you? All right, so, so, so I know that, that language, you're like, wait a minute. Are you going to? do holy water and the power of Christ compels you? No, it's not that. It's not weird. Can I just, can I get on a soapbox for a second? God's not weird. He is mysterious. He is all powerful and he can do some things that we can't explain with our human mind and our human emotions. But he's not weird. He's a God of order. He's a God of logic. And so I just, if you've been in that environment where, because I think, what can happen in the church is we become emotional thrill seekers. And you're stuck. Because it's never good enough. It's never the next thing. And that's not what God wants for us. 
All right, so here we go. Three things that need to happen in our lives if we really want freedom, if we really want deliverance. Number one, victory over sin. Victory over sin. That thing that you keep going back to, that coffee table that you keep banging your head on, God wants you to have victory over that. He wants to be able to get it out of your life. Come on, somebody. It's what he wants for you. And here's how I would define sin. You might want to write this down on your notes. This is the stuff that you do to yourself. Bad choices. Compounded on top of each other. And the question you're asking is, oh, well, I'm, not, I'm just going to, some of us are just accepted. I'm going to be this way forever. No, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Can I go to heaven with my issues? Yeah. But the Bible also says that anyone who loves God doesn't continue to sin. So at some point, I'm hoping that you get tired of being a slave. And you say, enough of this. I don't just, I don't want to know that eternity's out there for me someday. I want to experience eternity right now in my life and be a part of something greater. I want to live in freedom. Here's some hope for you. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. This is the Apostle Paul. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul sounds messed up. Just like us. And then he is. He's angry at himself. Listen, what a wretched man I am. In other words, Paul's looking in the mirror going, this is what I do. Smith, what is wrong with you? What, what, what is, why are you allowing these thoughts into your head? Why are you struggling with it? What is wrong with me? What a wretched man I am. Who, he asked this important question, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Here's where it gets good. Come on, somebody. Thanks be to God who what? Delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God wants us to have victory over sin, and we need it if we're going to drink from the second cup. Here's the second thing we need. It's healing from your wounds. Healing from your wounds. If sin is the stuff that I do to myself, wounds are the sin that someone else does to me. It's the stuff that someone else has done to me. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe someone attacked you, let you down. Maybe you experienced a tragedy in your life. Someone left before they were supposed to leave and you can't make sense out of anything in our life that leaves us going, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for that. We need healing from those wounds. And here's the deal. If you don't deal with your wounds, you'll be stuck at cup two forever. If you don't allow God to take you on the journey and journey and heal the stuff in your life that's wounded you, you'll be stuck here forever. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. He says, don't even let the sun go down while you're angry. Why? Because anger gives a foothold to the devil. And some of us today, we have so many wounds, we have so many relational wounds and so many barriers and walls that we've put up and so much anger and frustration that is 
and unforgiveness that we haven't dealt with. And, and the enemy of our souls has, has a, just a death grip on our ankles and we can't move anywhere in our lives because we haven't dealt with the wounds. Listen, I want you to have freedom today. And if you never let go of your past, you will never see your future. It won't happen. Here's the last one. God wants you to have authority over the enemy. Authority over the enemy. Oh, he's one of those preachers that thinks the devil's real. Yeah, here's the thing with me. My worldview starts with the Bible. And I actually believe the whole thing cover to cover is true and that it's God's word, infallible, inerrant, inspired by him through men. The perfect roadmap for my life. It explains everything. There's an answer for everything. There's a promise for everything in that book. And that book says very clearly that there's an enemy of our souls who's very real and who hates us very much. And guess what? It also says that through Jesus Christ, I have authority over him. He has no authority over my life. None whatsoever. You not only have your sin, you not only have the people who've sinned against you, but you have a devil who hates you. The Bible says he's prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And at some point, if you want to live in freedom, you have to learn how to take authority over the devil. You have to. Ephesians 6, 10, and 12, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Next time that fight breaks out in the car on the way to church, maybe just remember that. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That sounds overwhelming, I know, but you have authority over all of it. You have authority over all of it. Every single one of us has those three things going on. We need victory over sin. We need healing from our wounds. We need authority over the enemy. So, so how do I get all that working together and find freedom? That same scripture, Paul said, hey, I'm kind of a mess. I want to do right, but I don't. I keep finding there's these two laws that conflict within me. But look what he says in the very next line, Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If some of us, if all we get today is that, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Here's what living under condemnation will do to you. It'll turn you into a fake. Can I just, this is what I grew up in. My house at home was F-bombs flying, plates being broken, screaming and yelling all the time. And then we'd get in the car every Sunday and go to church. And it was like, people need to know we got it together. So you don't talk about that stuff. Why? Because my family was afraid of the shame and the condemnation and the guilt that they thought would come if they ever admitted how messed up it was in our house. And it ultimately led to destroying our family. My parents got divorced. They both got remarried. 
God redeems some of that stuff, works some stuff out. I'm healed from the wounds. I'm free today. I can just tell you that with all sincerity. But condemnation will make you a fake. And that's why you need to be around some people you can be real with and get the condemnation off. I'm talking to somebody today. Get the condemnation off your life. You've got issues? I've got to say something to you. Welcome to the club. I hope you didn't come here today thinking, finally we found the perfect church. You probably found the messiest church. <laughs> I like what I heard Pastor Chris Hodges say on this topic. He said, hey, hey, here's the deal. You landed here, all you did was land in the same hospital as the rest of us. We're sharing a room. Occasionally we fight over what's on the TV. But we're all in the same hospital together. Let's get better together. Come on, somebody. This isn't a perfect church. Romans 8, 5, and 6. Let's go on. Paul says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think. Everybody say think about sinful things. You know the key to getting the Egypt out of you? You've got to change your thinking. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So let your sinful nature... I'm sorry, don't let it. (laughs) So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You think I'm stuck because of my issues and condemnation, but I've also got to get myself thinking new things? How am I going to do that? Tim, go ahead and come. I get it, Michael. I've got to get myself thinking right if I'm going to get the Egypt out of me. How in the world am I going to do that? If I want to have victory over sin, healing from my wounds, authority over the enemy, I've got to start thinking the way God wants me to think. I don't know that I can do that, Michael. Sounds good. I don't know if it's real. How am I going to do that? Well, let me ask you a question. What in your life has the most control over what you think? What in your life has the most control over what you think? It's not a trick question. I'm going to give you the answer. Even if you don't realize it, this is the truth. The Bible says so. The answer is, it's the people you're around. It's your associations. The thing that has the most control over how you think is your associations. Kevin, can I... Can I pick on you for a second? I hadn't planned on doing this. I had lunch with Kevin this last week. I've known Kevin for a little over two years now. And the first time we hung out, I thought we were just having lunch. We ended up spending four or five hours on Main Street, tears streaming, because Kevin was living under under condemnation. He was a broken guy. And his thinking was really messed up. And this last week I had lunch with Kevin. And I just got to say, man, I want to encourage you in front of everybody. That is the healthiest I have ever seen you. And I'm so proud of everything that God is doing in your life. And you ought to be thanking him for all of it. What changed in his life? He didn't pray more. I mean, he might have. It wasn't necessarily about having a more regimented Bible reading routine. You know what really changed in Kevin's life? His associations. The people who were investing in his life. The relationships that started getting time. 
And the healthier your relationships got, the healthier your thinking was. And little by little, you're getting free, aren't you? Little by little. I heard this saying a long time ago, and I believe it with all my heart. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Want to drink from the cup of deliverance? Get your associations right. You want to be free? Here it is in your notes. Relationships are the key. Relationships are the key. If you figure out your relationships, you'll drink from the cup of deliverance. Show me that in the Bible. I would love to. Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they'll receive mercy. Yeah, but isn't that talking about just confessing to God? I, I don't know. Maybe. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us. It's important that we note the distinction here. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So we go to God for forgiveness. He takes, let me say it this way. He takes care of what you did. He cleans it up. But he doesn't make sure you'll never do it again. How do I deal with that? James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other. and Pray for each other. So that you can be healed. People can't forgive you of your sins. I can't forgive. I mean, I can forgive you if you sin against me, but I can't forgive you of your sins. I can't give you that. I can't give you salvation. But you know what the Bible seems to indicate here is that I go to God for forgiveness. I go to God's people for healing. It's in those relationships. It's in those associations that I can begin to drink from the cup of deliverance, that I can get healthy and that I can get free. If you get around the right people, it'll strengthen you. That's God's plan. It's his process. All throughout the New Testament, we see that we're referred to not as individuals. We're referred to as a a family, a spiritual family, a flock, the body of Christ. We're not individuals anymore. So if we come into the family, but we don't function like a family, guess what? We're going to be bound up like slaves. We're never going to experience the freedom God has for us. I know I'm running a little bit over. Let me give you the last three blanks in your notes. A bond of honesty and transparency will change your life little by little and you will get free. So let me give you three things that deal with associations and relationships. Very practical that you can do. And as you get as you get in the habit of doing these things, you'll find freedom. Here's the first one, water baptism. Water baptism. You say, have you ever done that? And you're, no, we haven't. Because it, it's hard to put a baptism tank in a movie theater can't figure that out. They won't let us dig a hole in the floor. We keep asking. But I can tell you, in just a little over a month, we're going to throw the biggest, fattest baptism party. We're going to go to somebody's house with a swimming pool, and we're going to eat food, and we're going to play music, and we're going to we're going to dunk each other in the pool and get baptized. Because here's, here's what water baptism does. Now, some of us grew up with bad theology, and we think water baptism is a piece of salvation, and it's not. I'm going to steal another line from Chris Hodges. He says, he says, getting baptized doesn't make me any more saved than wearing this wedding ring makes me married. All this wedding ring is is a declaration that I am married. And that's what water baptism is. It's a declaration of a new association in your life. You go down, it represents the old you. You come up, it represents the new you, alive in Christ with the spirit working in you. Come on, the process has begun to get free, everybody. 
Jesus said we should do it. That's enough for me. Public declaration of a new association. It's all throughout the New Testament, and water baptism always comes after salvation, by the way. Go study it. Look it up. So you, Bill, somebody sprinkled water on me when I was a kid. Yeah, but if you didn't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm, I'm sure it was nice. You got some good pictures from it. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the plan that God has. It's after salvation. Here's the second thing that you need. If you're going to have the right relationships, the right associations in your life, you need church partnership. Some, some churches would use the word membership here. There's nothing wrong with that. We just choose not to because our church isn't a country club where people are members and they get to feel special. Our church is a place where we lock arms, we take ownership together, and we do the work of the kingdom. So we're partners. That's what we do here. You need a family that you can serve with, worship with, pray with. And I just want to add this. This might sting a little bit for some of us. This doesn't work unless you make it a priority in your life. We define partnership in our church with three things. People who give regularly, serve regularly, and attend regularly, we consider partners. You don't sign a card. You don't have to pass a test. If you do those three things, we consider you a partner. And it's all three things. So why not lock arms with a family and start to experience freedom? Here's the last thing you need. You need to be in a small group. You need to be in a small group. You need a few people, just a small group of people that you can spend time with. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. We make each other better. We get honest. We get transparent. We take the mask off. We let God work on us. Would you just close your eyes all across the room this morning? I promise I'm about to turn you loose. I apologize. I know I had a lot to say today. But I think it's important stuff. I I think it needed to be said. At this point, while I was working on my message, I feel like God gave me, and I'm I'm not trying to be weird here, I feel like God gave me something kind of prophetic. I don't know who this is for, but I just feel like I need to say it, and maybe it's for you. Because some of us are actually frustrated because we feel like serving God has become stale and boring. And you listen to this message today and I got to the end and here I am once again talking about partnership and small groups. Giving, serving, and showing up regularly. Making it a priority in my life. And you're actually thinking a little bit, Michael, my life is messed up and here you are repeating that same stuff over and over and over again and you're actually frustrated about it. Well, here's what I've got to say to you. The message isn't going to change because the process works works there are four cups for you to drink from four promises for you to take advantage of but I can't make you so how about for some of us we repent of prideful arrogance how about we stop trying to do it our way How about we stop making the depth of our Christianity about a fun Sunday experiment with a couple funny videos and a good band and we actually try applying this stuff and putting it to practice in our life and just see if a little bit of blessing, a little bit of favor and a little bit of freedom doesn't actually show up. Because I believe in this 
And if you're waiting for the Sunday that you come and we stop saying, show up, serve, connect, give, build relationships in the body, is never coming. Because it works. It works. And it's what God wants for you. Some of us this morning need to turn towards Jesus for the first time. And I want to pray with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Michael, freedom sounds nice. Deliverance sounds good. But I don't even have a relationship with God. I have never invited the God of the universe. I've never invited Jesus Christ to come and live in me. To forgive me of my sins. And to be in relationship with me. And maybe this morning you can't even explain it all. You can't make sense out of it. But there's something in you that's screaming out. That's you. I want to tell you what that is. It's the Holy Spirit trying to convince you of your need for a Savior. Because He wants desperately to be in relationship with you. He wants to make that third part of you perfect in an instant, in a moment today, if you'll just believe. So every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything like that. But I do want to know that you're here. If you say, Michael, that's me. I need to receive Christ in my heart. I need to begin a relationship with him today. Just between you and I, would you just hold your hand up so that I know you're here and we can pray together? I see it. Anyone else? I see it. Anyone else? Quickly, I see it.